0: Hi there everyone, welcome back to Hits 21, where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century, from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us over on X, formerly known as Twitter. We are at Hits 21 UK, that is hat... hat... That is at <laughs> Hits21UK, and you can email us too. Just send it on over to hits21podcast.gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. We are covering the year 2004 right now. This time we'll be covering the period between the 10th of October and the 4th of December. It is a supersized episode, at least by recent standards. If anything, it's... Regular sized if you compare it to our 2001 coverage or even the year 2000 coverage when we were doing five songs a week, but we'll explain all in a little while. Um, Just looking back to last week, the poll winner, and it was a fairly clear poll winner on our most voted upon poll so far in the show's history, but Call on Me by Eric Pritz. Walked away with it quite comfortably in the end.
1: Bit of a lasting impact
0: there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, on to this week's episode, and as always, it's time for some news from around the time that the songs we're covering in this episode were at number one in the UK. David Bieber, a 38-year-old former United States Marine, is found guilty of murdering PC Ian Broadhurst on Boxing Day in 2003. Bieber was sentenced to life in prison. His sentence was later reduced to 37 years, meaning that he will be eligible for parole in 2045, by which point he'll be 79. In
1: the United States, George W. Bush beats Democratic candidate John Kerry to achieve a second term as president. And a video of Osama bin Laden appears on Arabic TV, in which he mocks Bush and threatens more terrorist attacks on United States soil.
2: And in football, Manchester United beat Arsenal 2-0 at Old Trafford to finally bring an end to Arsenal's unbeaten run in the Premier League, which remains the longest in English football history to this day. Arsenal has gone 49 league games without losing, winning the Premier League title in the process.
0: The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows. Bride and Prejudice for one week, Shark Tale for three weeks, The Grudge for one week, Bridget Jones' The Edge of Reason for two weeks, and The Incredibles for two weeks.
1: Former Pantera guitarist Daryl Abbott, better known as Dimebag Darrell, is shot and killed on stage in the US state of Ohio while performing with his band Damage Plan. Abbott was killed by a lone gunman, Nathan Cale, who then killed three other people before being shot by police.
2: The BBC announces that Top of the Pops will be moving from Fridays on BBC One to Sundays on BBC2. And the music video for the new version of Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid20 airs across all five terrestrial channels simultaneously, attracting 13.5 million viewers.
1: Do you know, yeah. cons- considering it aired across all five channels at once, that's actually a really low rating. <laughs> that's yeah, like, I wonder what time it was yeah. broadcast. Yeah.
2: It was played out on the 18th of November 2004 at 5:55 p.m. That's a Thursday.
1: Oh, that's not great. Mm.
0: Oh. No, e- everyone would have been watching Paul O'Grady show. Everyone. Yeah, that's was that's the lore. Paul
2: O'Grady Simpson slot.
0: Uh, Andy, the album charts. Quite a long period to cover, but how, how are they looking? Yeah, it is quite a long period to cover. So strap yourselves in because I've
1: got uh, six mm-hmm. albums to mention to you that reached number one during this period. And they say strap yourselves in because the first place we're visiting is we're going around the sun by REM, which is uh, the yeah. first one to reach number one this week. It goes one week at the top and goes gold, just gold, not platinum in that club again. And after we visit around the sun, we go to the glorious, satisfying land of Ronan Keating, who um, gets number one for one week with. His compilation, Ten Years of Hits. I think you could rearrange the word. I think you could rearrange the word hits to make a more apt description. Um, and that went four times platinum, which is really depressing um, as a commentary on the human race. So that's 10 years of hits, which went number one for one week, and then was toppled by a different greatest hits by one Robbie Williams. Simply titled Greatest Hits, it went number one for two weeks, went eight times, Platinum, one of the biggest albums of the year. If only we had a chance to discuss Robbie Williams in this episode, it's just, I can't (laughs) seem to think of a way. Uh, After that, moving to a very, very different genre, we have Il Devo. Remember Il Devo? Oh my Uh, god. They have one week at number one. And uh, that went five times platinum. You did kind of hear that album everywhere. It was a kind of mum's favourite, that album. Oh, uh, yeah. Ill Yeah. Then, moving swiftly onwards, for two weeks at number one, we've got Encore by Eminem going four times platinum, which is a major drop from some of his previous albums, just to say. Four times platinum is still a huge success, but nothing compared to the success of his last few. Um, and... Again, I just wish we had an opportunity to go into M&M more this week. Oh. I just oh, <laughs> no. can't find a way. Uh, and finally, there is a very helpful instruction manual at the top for three weeks, which is How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb by U2, oh. uh, which went four times platinum. And again, I just wish we could talk about U2 this week. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so and that's it, we stuff taught yeah. a huge amounts, huge amounts uh, at the top during this period, and most of them quite big as well. So it was a busy old period on the albums chart, yeah. Oh, Lizzie, is it just as busy in the US?
2: Um yes, yeah, quite a busy period actually. Um not in terms of singles though. I only have one to mention this week and I will save the Christmas number one for our next episode. In the meantime though, uh, the single this week is My Boo by Usher featuring Alicia Keys, which got to number one for six weeks in America, where it was eventually certified five times platinum. However, it got stuck at number five in the UK in early November, held off the top spot by our second song this week. Moving on to albums, it's a busy period in a busy episode, so I will just quickly run through these. So we had American Idiot by Green Day for one week, Nice. Feels Like Today by Rascal Flatts for one week. <laughs> 50 Number Ones by George Strait for two weeks. <laughs> Stardust, The Great American Songbook Volume 3 by Rod Stewart for one week. Oh, God. oh yes.
0: <laughs>
2: Unfinished Business by Jay-Z and Robert Kelly for one week. And Now 17 by Various Artists for one week. And finally... We have Encore by Eminem, which got to number one for two weeks, went five times platinum in the US, and also got to number one in the UK. And you better believe that it's not the last time we'll be discussing that album on this episode.
0: Nope. Um, oh, definitely no. not on this podcast either, because we no. have to go back to it a second time. But <laughs> thank you very much, both of you, for those reports from the UK Albums Chart and from over there on the other side of the Atlantic, but we're going to get back over to the UK now, and press on with this week's episode, and the first song up this week is this. Ouch! He's chosen my
3: attic, I feel it in the static, he lives in my basement, and I can hardly face it, my performance is easy, I am the god of romance, and in
0: this is Radio by Robbie Williams. Released as the lead single from his second compilation album titled Greatest Hits, Radio is the 21st single overall to be released by Robbie Williams in the UK and his sixth to reach number one and this is not the last time that we'll be discussing Robbie on this podcast. Radio went straight in at number one as a brand new entry knocking Eric Pritz off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 42,000 copies, beating competition from More 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 by Rachel Stevens, which got yeah. to number three, Aww. My Neck, My Back by Kia, which got Aww. to number four, Reach Up for the Sunrise by Duran Duran, which got to number five, What You're Made Of by Lucy Silvers, which got to number seven. Do You Know I Go Crazy by Angel City, which got to number eight, and Whatever You Want by Christina Milian and Joe Budden, which got to number nine. Busy week for new entries there. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, radio fell two places to number three. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for eight weeks, which I think is the shortest stay we've ever had on the show so far the song has never received any official certification from the British (laughs) phonographic industry. Andy, kick us off with Radio by Robbie Williams, although I think the assessment of the single has already been done Uh, as far as as I'm concerned.
1: (laughs) I take it back what I said about the human race, because here in those statistics people do have some taste. Um, Yeah, yeah. so just to kind of get uh, get my wagon on the road straight away, I really, really don't like this. Um... I think if I was to sum this up in one pithy, pretentious word, it would be hubris. That's what uh, lies at the heart of this, to be honest, that you've got a guy here, Robbie Williams, who has really kind of, I think arguably the, the period before this, his Escapology album, I think you could arguably say that was his peak in terms of not just mainstream appeal, but actual quality as well. There are a lot of very good songs on that album uh, like Feel in particular and Come Undone Something Beautiful like it was a good era for Robbie and he was definitely starting to develop that reputation through his shows at Nebworth and these huge giant arena shows he used to do of being a showman um, which I politely use the phrase you know a showman and so those combinations of factors seem to have given him like I say this sense of hubris that he can kind of do anything and he can't I'll tell you one thing he can't do, which is is a sort of human league, Giorgio Moroder style, um, early 80s pop. Because that's what he's trying to do here, and it falls flat as a pancake. Um, there's just no subtlety to what he's trying to do, for starters. That he, I don't know whether he's actually doing this live in the studio or whether it's been put on in post, but the kind of wobbly voice thing, again, like the humanly, the kind of wobbly singing like that, which just doesn't work for him at all. just kind of makes him sound like he's on a boat or something. Um, yeah. Um, and the production is, like, fine in general, but again, it's really obvious what they're going for, and it's just not Robbie's thing. I've got to say straight away that there is a running theme throughout most of the songs we're covering this week of artists attempting to do something they've not really done before and not being particularly successful at it. Um, That's kind of a running theme throughout, but none more so than Robbie this week, unfortunately. It's just, it kind of makes you scratch your head in disbelief, because like I say, he was on top of the world. He really kind of could have just continued on with this, the very nice niche he'd found himself in and been very, very successful for decades on. And yes, he did eventually recover from this, but this period between 2004 and 2009, roughly, was such a disaster for him that he had to make an actual bona fide comeback at the end of the decade because he'd fallen off the map so much. And you can see why with something like this. I mean, the elephant in the room here is that surely there were drugs involved because it just, this song is just not, worth putting out as it is. Like, it's just not worthy of being a lead single for Robbie Williams. I mean, the thing that makes me think, yeah, they thought they had something here that they didn't have and drugs were probably involved, is that (laughs) central line um, of the chorus. And, you know, there are bad lyrics from everyone. Like, nobody is quite innocent of it. You know, some of the greatest lyricists ever have written some awful, awful lyrics. You know, but very few of them have put that as the central line of the chorus and this just utterly banal statement of listen to the radio and you will hear a song you know oh okay (laughs) hmm insightful it's the kind of thing that he probably thought sounds profound of like if you just listen to the radio you'll hear a song you know just it's like what it really, really reminds me of. Again, this is why I kind of I feel like drugs are involved. It really reminds me of Peep Show when Jeremy and Superhands have the Big Beat Manifesto, which is uh, <laughs> big. Big beats are the best. Get high all the time. Which when they're high as a cloud, they think that it's like they say they thought it was an all-encompassing philosophy, and that's what I feel like Robbie was doing here. Of like, listen to the radio, and you will hear some songs you know. Oh, thanks for that one. Oh, thanks for getting that tattooed on my back. Yeah, cheers for that, Robbie. Um, So, yes, pretty terrible, to be honest, and certainly a far cry from the golden era of Robbie. There are are quite a series of Robbie singles coming up, which thankfully, you know, don't get to number one, which are awful. The likes of Tripping and Rudebox, just awful. So um, time for him to spend a few years in the wild after this. Um, if I listen to the radio and this came on, I turn the radio off.
0: <laughs> God, Andy, why are you so nasty? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the thing with this, Andy, that you've just mentioned there about you know the presence of something or other, you know, I- implying. I, mean, I assume that, yes, I don't know. There may but have I assume, been drugs. Yes, yeah. um, but this was co-written by Stephen Duffy of Duran uh, Duran, who we mentioned before. <laughs> but there's someone. That, that there is a, a lack of presence for one person in particular. There's an elephant oh, yes. not in the room. Jonathan Which Wilkes. is that... Uh, well, no, he, he was probably there <laughs> yeah, cheering too. Robbie on. Um, <laughs> he always This, this was Robbie, quite notable for being Robbie's first solo single without Guy Chambers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mum... Oh, It was while my grand was still alive. Um, my mum's mum, so it would have been pre-2006... Because I remember sitting in my grand's front room and Robbie's, uh, one of Robbie's songs coming on the TV and going, and her going, oh, he's not been the same without that guy Chambers. It's just because my mum was big on Take That, she was big on Robbie, but she could not get into this era. Intensive Care um, was the album. I don't think she bought this greatest hits, to be honest, because she already had um, all of his albums plus uh, one of her workmates had managed to get hold of a copy of The Ego Was Landed, which I think was the one that was released in the US. Um, and that had, like, all of his best stuff on it up to that point as well. So she was... She had her Robbie fill, and when this came out, and she just went, meh. Nah. Yeah, Guy Chambers is clearly the, the thing that fine-tunes Robbie's talents to make great pop. But, um... It, the thing with this, you know that line from The Simpsons where Mrs. Crubapple is like, Ha! It thinks it's people! And when, he's, when she's referring to Santa's, uh, Santa's little helper. Like, th- this, funnily enough, Andy, was in my notes and it was in yours too, which is just the, Ha! It thinks it's the Human League. Like, <laughs> it, it, that's all I really have to say about this. This is a near total misfire that Robbie. Oh, I don't know. Just, it, it's. There was an attempt, you know? I think it's pretty clear that Robbie has, you know, his best singles. He works best when he has a partner who's capable of curtailing his worst impulses and, you know, trimming him back slightly. You know, I think this is almost barely worth discussing because he would do weirder stuff than this and worse stuff than this, which I think is more interesting. Stuff like Rude Box, which is just like, what? Like, really, <laughs> At least with this, it's with like... Song, Yes, it really is, but, like, in, in a way, I find, like, you know, like, I kind of rubberneck whenever I listen to it, but... So it means that, like, you know, th- this is a misfire, but it's not even one of his interesting ones. Like, I so, I don't know, I just feel like it's not even pie-hole worthy, I just feel like it sits on the edge, and it'll maybe flirt with falling in over the course of the episode, but I'm not quite sure, I've not fully made my mind up yet, but it's just so... Like oh yeah he's trying to do the Human League and it's a bit funny because it's Robbie like you know whatever he does he throws his whole self into it and so when he throws his whole self into a misfire it's like you sort of have to giggle a little bit whereas with stuff like Rudebox it's like that, that there's an added level of just it is slightly more deranged than this and so out of character where it's like with, with this it feels like. Um, with radio, it's as if Robbie is... You can see what he's trying to do with radio, whereas with Rootbox, <laughs> there's no other song that sounds like it, is there? Um, but just... like you, Andy, I think that there is also a running theme through this episode, which is male musicians, perhaps under the influence of one intoxicant or another, pressing ahead with a bad idea because they're too powerful and too popular to have their ideas turned down. When it would have perhaps been better to do so. Um, I think that, yeah, this is not the biggest example in this episode of that kind of stuff. But like you were saying, Andy, it's this hubris thing where it's like, I can do what I want and I'm just going to press ahead because I'm very drunk or very high right now. And permanently because I have to be. Where's the people around him to
1: stop him, though? Because there has to be
0: someone who could
1: have done that who must have been thinking it because i just i just sorry i don't think anyone with ears could really listen to this and think <laughs> that this like if you compare it to you know the glory is if you compare it to let me entertain you millennium and angels and feel and kids and you know all the other robbie classics would you listen to this and really think this is in that caliber that it's worthy of joining those songs i just think mm. any like i say anyone with ears would think no this is not good enough Like, we're going to damage Robbie's brand by putting this out. Um, And so I have to conclude he
0: just must be surrounded by yes men at this point who weren't going to stop him from releasing this. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it feels a bit be here now in that sense. Where it's just clearly be here now is. I mean, I like be here now more than most people, but I don't like it that much. You know, it's. I think it is just a product of about 50 blokes on cocaine going to a music, you know, going to a studio and getting all excited. And no one say no about an idea that gets put forward. It's like, this was born out of Williams writing the song's distinctive synth pop melody by, from the Wikipedia page, attempting and failing to play Harold uh, Faltermeyer's Axel F on a keyboard from memory. Oh, God. Oh, that's a sad little story, that, isn't it? So (laughs) Attempting and failing. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, not a favourite. Lizzie, how about you?
2: Yeah, it's like you've reached into my notes wholesale. Like <laughs> y- you said, everything that I possibly could say about this, I've I put. We have Gary Newman at home.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. It's all um, very, very, very late seventies, early eighties. This to me.
2: Yeah. Um. And yeah, like you, Rob. I'm aware that Guy Chambers gave us a bit of a dud last week with real to me, but. Yeah, his absence on this is notable. Like, Robbie without Guy Chambers seems like Elton John without Bernie Taupin. Like, he still sounds Mm. the same for the most part, but you lose an essential part of the act without the person who understands the artist's voice, as in the personality they impart through their writing. And that's clearly not here. So you've got this song that is impenetrable it's just it's meaningless it's completely meaningless I'd, i don't know i've i've even like gone and looked for meanings for the song on you know google and song meanings and stuff but it's just gobbledygook there's nothing to it and yeah the, the um, lyrics
1: barely make sense as sentences let alone as coherent
2: Yeah they're lyrics. all
0: non sequitur stuff yeah yeah the,
2: like the best i can gather is that he himself has become like pop music as a whole and he is this sort of multiple personality like dr jekyll and mr hyde type thing going on but even that i think is giving it too much credit um so since i completely agree with what both of you have already said i'll just talk about um so a couple of weeks ago um me and friend of the podcast kit watched an episode of top of the pops from 2004 it was the 1st of October episode. Um, it's on YouTube at the time of recording this. It's um, 1st of October 2004. It's got Girls Aloud in the thumbnail, I think. It's the episode where they do Love Machine. Um, so while Call on Me was still number one, and it's the episode where Robbie Williams debuts this song. And I think it's notable just because um, he, does a, he does an interview with um, Fern Cotton beforehand, and he looks like he hasn't slept in a month. Yeah, you look at his eyes and there's just nothing there and like struggling to form sentences he goes in for a kiss I'm sure they're friends I'm sure it's fine but like there's this real sense of like who are you you're not Robbie Williams (laughs) it's this weird like I I don't know like a replicant's just walked in like he looks like him he sounds like him but he's just behaving like this fucking weirdo and he comes in and does this song and he, he rips off a bit of um, You Spin Me Round at the end as well. You know, the I want your love. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. It's it's a mess. And even the crowd are like, they're doing their best to be enthused by it, but it's just not there. You can see this is kind of dead on arrival. And the fact that it dropped out of the charts after eight weeks, I think, kind of says it all. And even... Um, like you, Rob. My mum was a big Robbie fan, and she doesn't remember this.
0: Yeah, it, we looked up just before the show, didn't we? This was uh, stuffed away at number track number eighteen on a nineteen-track greatest hits album.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the real so, sign of like. Yeah, yeah. Of Is that the greatest hits confidence. that just come
0: out? The one we've yes, just mentioned. Yeah. Bloody yeah. This, this wasn't on an album. This was just on the end of a greatest hits album, so that it could chart on the main album's chart. It just yeah, common yeah. sense to put it as track one. Give it a chance. Yeah.
2: It, it sounds <laughs> exactly. exactly like that. It it just sounds like something they either tossed off in a weekend or that they had lying on the shelves and thought, yeah, we can slap that on. That'll do. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's it's rubbish.
0: It's really bad. Moving swiftly on. Um, well, I say moving swiftly on because we've actually got to go back slightly because next up, uh, number one, was this. Okay, so, this is, once again, Call On Me by Eric Prydz. Call On Me went back to number one during its fifth week on the chart, knocking Robbie Williams off the top spot. It stayed at number one for two more weeks, in its fourth week in total at number one. It sold 25,000 copies, beating competition from I Believe My Heart by Duncan James and Keady, <laughs> which got to number two. Come Get Some by Rooster, which got to number seven. Let Me Kiss You by Morrissey, which got to number eight. And Something Is Going On by Cliff Richard, which got to number nine. In its fifth and final week atop the charts, it sold 22,000 copies. Beating competition from The Love of Richard Nixon by Manic Street Preachers, which got to number two. Millionaire by Khalees and Andre 3000, which got to number three. Happy People by Robert Sylvester Kelly, which got to number six. Enjoy the Silence 04 by Depeche Mode, which got to number 7, and Kinda Love by Darius, which got to number 8. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Call On Me dropped one place to number 2. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 41 weeks. The song is currently officially certified two times platinum in the UK as of 2023. And because we've already discussed it, we're going to move on again. But there's another issue, and you're going to be hearing a lot of my voice for the next, like, two minutes. So <laughs> um, so next up at number one was Wonderful by Ja Rule and Ashanti, featuring Robert Sylvester Kelly. So, ordinarily, we would have covered this, but because we're not covering songs properly, featuring Kelly, we've decided to acknowledge the song out of respect to Jar Rule and Ashanti, but not to give it our usual full coverage, for reasons that we explained whenever Ignition got to number one. The song stayed at number one for one week and it sold 24,000 copies, beating competition from four new entries that week, which were Nothing Hurts Like Love by Daniel Bedingfield, Stolen by Jay Sean, Uh, You Won't Forget About Me by Danny Minogue, and What Became of the Likely Lads by The Libertines. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Wonderful fell five places to number six and left the charts after 10 weeks. The song is currently officially certified silver in the UK, as of 2023, I think it's the only time we're going to get to discuss Jar Rule on the podcast, so I just want to mention that Jar Rule has the funniest voice in all of rap, I think. <laughs> um, he just has such a gruff voice that sounds like he's being slowly overtaken by Homer Simpson constantly. I just.
2: I was going to say, like a cartoon dog.
0: Yes, it's <laughs> unusual, uh, an acquired taste. Hey
1: everyone, I'm Ja Rule, the rockin' dog.
0: (laughs) I think the thing that's really stood out to me over the past sort of like three minutes while we've been talking is that the sales, 25,000, 22,000, 24,000, like... We're only about four months away from the UK record industry finally just holding their hands up and going, okay, the single CD is no longer the dominant format. We need to start including downloads. Um, And that's what they do from April next year. But I think for a little while, there are going to be some atrociously low numbers um, in the charts getting to number one. But we're going to move on and we're going to play some more music. Yes, we like music, and I'm going to get to have a break. So, the next song up this week is this...
3: pajama time. come here little kitty on my lap guess who's back with a brand new rap and i don't mean rap as in a new case of child molestation accusation no worries papa's got a brand new bag of toys what else could i do to make noise i done touched on everything but little boys that's not a stab at michael that's just a metaphor i'm just psycho i go a little bit crazy sometimes i get a little bit out of control with my rhymes good god if do a little slide bend down touch your toes and just glide up the center of the dance floor like tp for my bunghole and it's cool if you let one go nobody's gonna know who'd hear it give a little poot poot it's okay My CD just skipped, and everyone just heard you let one rip, now I'm gonna make you dance, get your chance, yeah boy shake that ass, oops I mean girl, girl girl girl, girl you know you're my world, alright now lose it, Ah! just lose it, Ah! go crazy, Ah! oh baby, oh baby baby. Ah! It's Friday, and it's my day, just to party, all the way to Sunday, maybe till Monday, I don't know what day, every day's just a holiday, cruising on the freeway, feeling kind of breezy,
0: Okay, this is Just Lose It by Eminem. Released as the lead single from his fourth studio album, titled Encore, Just Lose It is Eminem's twelfth single overall to be released in the UK and his fifth to reach number one. And this is not the last time that we'll be discussing Marshall Mathers on this podcast. Just Lose It went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking Jar Rule and Ashanti off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 63,000 copies, beating competition from Lose My Breath by Destiny's Child, which got to number two. My Prerogative by Britney Spears, which got to number three, Car Wash by Christina Aguilera and Missy Elliott, which got to number four, Confessions Part 2 by Usher, which got to number five, The Weekend by Michael Gray, which got to number seven, and DJ by Jamelia, which got to number nine. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Just Lose It fell two places to number three. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 15 weeks. The song is currently officially certified platinum, in the UK, as of twenty twenty three. So, Lizzie, how do we feel about just lose it?
2: It's rubbish, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, I agree.
2: <laughs> I mean, what more is there to say about it? Like it's it's a disaster. Like the lyrics aren't funny, the flow's all over the place, the backing track's really irritating. I genuinely don't think this would be anywhere near the number one spot if not for A, the name attached to it, and B, the controversy generated by its music video. This is all it has. Yes. And it's just part of, I think we've mentioned before, like Eminem seems to have a formula where if he has a new album out, he'll put out the, the funny track first. Then he'll put out, like, the serious track. And then he'll come back with, I don't know, a semi-funny, semi-serious track. And, like, (laughs) at this point, it is becoming a little bit too obvious. And I think, like, at the time, granted, I didn't know um, what Eminem was going through in terms of addiction. And it's obviously not even the worst part of it. Like, come, like, I think it's 2006, 2007, where he's on this TV interview and he just looks gone, which mm. is it's really scary. Um, but again, I, I didn't know about that. I just kind of assumed that Eminem had kind of given up, like he'd done um, a, a self-portrait Bob Dylan-style thing where he didn't put out an intentionally bad song on an album of mixed results just to kind of get the pressure off, because he's still, at this point, probably the biggest pop star in the world
0: yeah i'd say so he's close maybe
2: debatable but yeah he's definitely like top five he's even top 10 now we're talking 20 years on and you sort of look at lists of like the most popular musicians in the world he's still up there and it's kind of amazing that he ever recovered from this like um so just to give um, a kind of personal experience of this song I was actually in New York when I first heard this. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I went on holiday. It would have been, en- yeah, end of October 2004. Um, it was a really nice time. Weather was quite nice. It was during Halloween, so I got to see a lot of people in Times Square in costumes. I, for some reason, bought a John Kerry badge and someone in the street <laughs> shouted at me saying, you can't even vote, <laughs> <laughs> which was, was true, but... Also unnecessary. Yeah, I went on a tour of Madison Square Garden. I think the main album I remember seeing on the billboard outside of the Big Virgin Megastore was American Idiot by Green Day. But this was also gaining a lot of traction. And I I was actually, I think I was in the shop and I saw this video playing. And I remember seeing it and thinking, I've outgrown Eminem. Yeah. And it's the maddest thing because... You go back two years to like the Eminem show. I was all over that. I bought that album probably, if not day one, and like the weekend of. Like dragged my shop, dragged my dad to HMV to to buy it because hmm. yeah, I was big into Eminem. I liked the um, you know the Marshall Mathers LP, the Slim Shady LP. Um, obviously, played them with headphones on because if you know you've got parents present, you don't want them to be hearing tracks like Kim, for example. But yeah, I was big into Eminem and ordinarily I would have been really excited. But I think by this point, given that I was into things like Kanye West and Twister and like Common now, this just seemed like kid stuff. And it's not at all because it's, it's clearly not intended for a young audience and it's like, it's pretty tasteless, but it's just something so juvenile about it and it's really hard to get on board with that when you're like 13 years old because that's like the cutoff point for i'm too old for this i should be getting into more sophisticated or cool stuff and this just wasn't it i don't i did i don't think i knew anyone at school with this album or at least anyone who openly talked about it in the way they did the Eminem show which was huge. Like, everybody had that. Everybody listened to it. Everybody bought um, the 8 Mile soundtrack as well and Lose Yourself. And with this, it's just gone. Like, nobody has fond memories of this, I don't think. Hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah. Apart from very specific Eminem fans who still really, really enjoy all the things he releases now... And mm. say things like, and all like they they post memes that are like, there's this one little boy who's like cowering in fear while the soldier holds back loads of monsters, and the soldier holding back all the monsters is Eminem, who is protecting you from the monsters. Modern rappers, apparently. <laughs> so- oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, Eminem protects me from modern rappers. I'm never growing <laughs> up. Um, but yes, uh, Andy, how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you put it very, very succinctly that Lizzie very much covered you know, my feelings on it, to be honest. Um, the, the thing is, like, I do have memories of this. I, you've got me thinking, though, where they say no one has fond memories of it, and I do have memories of it existing and seeing the video, but they're so minor, they're so tangential, it's just like a thing I would have seen once, and that voice, the wah 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 wah, is like the only thing I really remember. And then you compare it to the likes of... Without Me and Stan and Real Slim Shady and Lose Yourself, and you think, God, those were all, like, massive cultural moments for our generation. Mm, Like, they were big, especially Stan and Without Me were both, like, huge. And then you think this, I just barely even remember it existed. And I remember when I was first looking through the list of songs for 2004 that get number one, Obviously, Brian McFadden as well, but this, <laughs> I stopped on and was like, that got number one? Like, I, I barely remembered that song existed, and I was really surprised to hear it. Such a sudden fall from Grace, but I'm going to say it again, hubris. That's what this is all about here, that I know that he has issues going on, so it's not just hubris. But I think there is a sense here of the the possibility that Eminem is so popular that he's self-sustaining, at this point, which he is to a point, but no one is entirely self-sustaining. You know, some of the biggest acts in the world have come crashing down within months due to a bad couple of singles, um, or at least, you know, threatened to and had to rescue themselves quickly. Look at Robbie Williams just before this. and He may not be one of the biggest acts in the world, but he's certainly one of the biggest acts in the UK, and he's not infallible. Now there is Eminem. Um, And I I think... Possibly, it's kind of needed. I agree with what you said, Lizzie. That like the bubble needs to burst with Eminem at this point. That he needs a proper stinker, so that yeah. people can be you know kind of shaken out of the idea that he's some kind of prodigy on a higher plane, and they can be dropped back to reality. Whoop! There goes gravity. You know, it's it's just one of those things <laughs> that kind of needs to happen. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, possibly doing a little bit of a thing here, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I think that kind of needs to happen because. First of all, like it, it isn't sustainable. Like the previous songs that have all got number one for Eminem have been very high quality on the whole. I wasn't a huge fan of "Without Me," but you know, fair enough. They're all very, very well written songs that you can totally understand why they got to number one. Whereas this one, it's like I just don't really get what the hook is supposed to be. I don't really get what this is supposed to be inviting me into as a listener. Like I, I think it gets off on the wrong foot straight away. With that quote of um, "Guess who's back? Back again!" right at the start, I'm like okay, so we're doing this, are we? Where you know we're taking a song that was already a victory lap, and we're taking it out for another victory lap because we're this low on ideas, and it just kind of—I guess—it leaves me wondering why I got out of bed at all. But uh, I mean, technically <laughs> not an Eminem lyric that one, but who's counting? But yeah, I mean, I, I just—it's a shame. It is a shame because. I was more and more getting into Eminem as we were discussing him throughout the show. Like I've, I've never been like the biggest, hugest fanboy of him, but I did really like him. I think, I think everyone of our generation, almost everyone, at least liked him and appreciated what he was doing. It was so big that it was impossible not to get drawn in to some extent. But I cannot tell you how much he drops off the map in my head from this point onwards. I'm talking to the point of non-existence. You know, that, uh, I know Like Toy Soldiers is after this, and that registers a blip on the radar, but it's, it is virtually to the point of being erased from culture entirely in my head at this point onwards. Um, and I don't think this song is solely responsible for that, but I do think it has a huge amount to do with it, because it's just so bad. It's just so puerile. Like, stopping the whole thing, like, mid-beat to do a fart noise? Come on, you can do better than that. It's, it's just gross and silly and puerile and immature um, and juvenile, is the word that stuck with me from what you said, Lizzie. Yeah, very, very juvenile. That is so annoying as well. Really, really. It, it seems like it's trying to attack the senses in a way that I don't like. Um, because they've kind of got nothing else to bring to the table, to be honest. Um, so it just kind of grosses you out and kind of offends the ear. I guess that must mean he's disgusting, but it's just him. He's just obscene. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So <laughs> overall, a big, big thumbs down for this. And I, I, I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world. Like it does have... Some interesting bits in it. Like, he still knows how to carry a little bit of a hook. There are little bits that I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah, I remember this now. This is coming back to me. And it did kind of awaken some very deep, unlocked memory of the song being a thing, but not to the extent that any of his other hits have done so far. And at some points, it was so annoying that it made me want to bust my fist through a window. I guess that's why they call it window pane.
0: <laughs> but thought yeah, I had that, to include that one. That was a, that, that that was a one bit one of a deeper that's... cut from a later record, that. Oh, I had to <laughs> include
1: that because that I actually like Love the Way You Lie, you know. I do actually like that, but that line is just, ooh, makes me wince every time. Suddenly getting into, like, you
0: know, RuPaul-style pun comedy in the middle of that. Weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah Eminem has remained fascinating to me from this point because he has released, for 20 years now nearly, he has released almost nothing but garbage and yet he still is getting number ones into the 2020s like and and everyone who really likes him takes him dead seriously and i'm like listening to like fucking revival and kamikaze i'm just sat there thinking like what are people seeing in this that they like you, you go on the youtube videos for certain songs from later albums and there's people commenting underneath saying saying things like oh God, this just just takes me back. We don't come to these songs to hear the songs. We come to feel the memories and stuff like this. And I'm just thinking, what are you seeing in this? Um, Worshipping at an altar, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's a bit cultish. It's gone a bit that way with Kanye in recent years, where as much as I really like Donda, I think um, Ye was a little below his usual standards, and Jesus is King was definitely below his usual standards. And I actually maybe slightly controversially think that The Life of Pablo is... There's like a third of it is pr- is really good, and then the rest of it is basically like a glorified mixtape that doesn't sound finished. And there's a lot of people who are just so, so devoted to him that nothing he can do is wrong. And I feel like it's a similar thing with Eminem. Um, with Just Lose It, though, this feels like the beginning point for, like, where I jump off. It's kind of hard to know where to start with this. You know, we have alluded to it on the podcast in the past, but this is where I get off the Eminem ride. You know, relapses, all right. But everything else that he's done, everything else about his career after this point is a struggle to me, a real struggle. Um, I like Toy Soldiers, uh, which we'll discuss next year. Um, I'll make my case for that, but... The thing with this is... This isn't even the worst thing on Encore. Like, you know... (laughs) No. Encore is a record that's one-third pretty good. One-third, meh. And then one-third, just stuff like this. The most obnoxious, like, lazy bullshit you've ever heard from someone who would be in the conversation as being, like, a genuine great. Like, Encore Mm. starts off completely fine. Like, a little below his usual standards up to that point, but... All the six songs, you know, standard Eminem stuff, and then Jesus Christ, after that it's like a black hole opens up and this is in it. Like, you know, just as an aside, there are probably some people listening out there who are probably wondering, how could Eminem go from lose yourself to this in the space of 18 months? And apart from the Vicodin and Valium that he was mainlining by this point, basically, I think D12 is the answer especially my band oh
2: god yeah
0: my band and it is like it's just lose it is like a my band part 2 similar tempo similar atmosphere really silly stupid lyrics alongside a silly stupid juvenile music video they did a song for the longest yard film that was called my balls with a z <laughs> And it just... Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't get me wrong. On previous records, on very rare occasions, M would drop a clanger. And it's not like his first three albums are totally perfect. You know, sometimes his targets were a little easy or a little strange. Like, we talked about him going after Moby for some odd reason on Without Me. But that's because, you know, like, you could balance it out because he often did balance it out with, you know, really erudite, sharp observations on pop culture and society to balance it all out. You know, whether it was about celebrity culture or American society or what have you. You know, you got the sense that he was a, a bit of an outsider who would somehow managed to break into a fancy party and was smashing glasses and flipping tables. Because even when he wasn't on his A-game, it felt like he had something to say. You know, we always wanted to make sure it was said in a way that was emotionally urgent as well. Um, His first three albums are great in my book. um, And at worst, you know, they they at least come from a point of sincerity. Um, I will say, like I said before, that I will be probably making a very strong case for Like Toy Soldiers because it's part of that third of Encore that's the sound of Eminem, realising that he's changed and realising he's now become part of the system. Analyzing what that means questioning his identity now in rap, you know, that sort of thing. But then there's the other two-thirds of the album, and this is where this comes from. And it's the product of a guy, I think, who has said everything that he wants to say is really wired on pills and is deciding that he's just going to have a laugh. Like, but I don't get what the joke is here. Like, the, the from what I can just about work out from the lyrics, the joke seems to be, Michael Jackson touched kids, but I haven't done that. And that seems to be it over and over (laughs) and over again in various different ways. And it's like watching a South Park episode that hasn't aged very well. You know, South Park has always been hit and miss for me. Um, When it hits, I think it's brilliant. But when it misses, Jesus Christ. And Eminem has produced a a South Park kind of miss here. Unfunny and annoying. And it really is worth stressing again that Eminem, like you were saying, Lizzie, is out of his mind on painkillers at this point. He's like... He's living on Vicodin and Valium and he's wired permanently and then he's knocking back sleeping tablets to get like three hours of sleep a night. And then apparently, like Michael Jackson did in a later point of his life, he was waking up at two or three in the morning asking for more painkillers, more Vicodin, you know, more sleeping tablets, more opiates, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And Encore is a scattered mess because of that and so is this um andy you were referencing the fart gag before if i say that this song only contains about five percent of the fart and or puke jokes across the entire album then you will get the point Mm. of what encore is like um i do think you know like i say like toy soldiers is good but um and so i'll try and make a more positive case for the album at that point maybe but I think Encore is the place where, you know, like you were saying, Lizzie, where he'd release the joke song, the serious song, then try, then try and do two together as like, you know, yeah. um, the, the, the three singles he would release. Encore is the place where I think Eminem's two personalities, Shady and Marshall, they kind of split. And then he beats them both to death. And then he mm-hmm. replaces them with these like weird clones. Because from this point on, you can just about see the resemblance to the older records, but something's off, something's wrong. Like, he always knew how to balance comical stuff with more serious stuff in the past. But on Encore, the songs are rarely both simultaneously. It's like he gives sections to more serious stuff and sections to more jokey stuff. But it means that, you know, you get songs like Toy Soldiers and Mockingbird, and it's not my favourite, but Mosh, you know, is at least trying to say something there, and Yellow Brick Road, but then you get Just Lose It and Ass Like That and Puke and Big Weenie. And fucking my first single, the so-called oh. funny songs that just great on me so much. Mm-hmm. And I think Eminem still has the technical smarts, but he has none of the energy, none of the hunger, but all of the Vicodin in the USA, like running through his veins. Um, he even admitted like seven years after this, uh, he says around the tail of Encore, the song started getting really goofy. Rain Man, Big Weenie, ass like that. That's when the wheels were coming off. And I think that's why there's more actual screams in this song than lyrics worth listening to. Um, I was actually looking this up, and M has admitted to taking over 50 Valium on some days and 30 Vicodin, which, like, God, like, we're not far away from his overdose in 2007, where he nearly dies. And 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 I think this is a slightly worse example than radio of a pop star pressing ahead with a bad idea because he's got too much money, too much power... And nobody is saying, "Are you sure like there's nobody checking with him, even Dre appears in the song and the video and is he seems completely fine with the content of it yeah like he gets involved in one of the jokes and it's like a, a whole gay panic thing which again this song is full of the the gay panic jokes like I just don't I find this all very I find it all very cringeworthy. And, you know, I I give him props a bit for, you know, still managing to be Eminem with his, you know, rapid fire staccato flow uh, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, this is poor. And this is the point where, with one brief stop with Light Toy Soldiers, this is where I jump off the ride pretty, pretty firmly. I have gone through all of Eminem's albums numerous times over the years. And... Oh, he does better ones from this point. Relapse is listenable. But yeah, this... Uh, I mean, we'll come back to him a lot and we'll talk about songs like River <laughs> when we get there. Um, but yeah, this is shit. Um, and that's not a joke about, like, the toilet humour in the song. Speak- I mean,
2: speaking of shit and toilet humour, um, would you say this is as bad a comeback single as... Lift Yourself, Rob. Oh, God,
0: yeah. scoopity whoopity scoopity scoopity oh, oh, yeah. Yes. Um, it's probably a little better than that, because <laughs> Lift Yourself was... I mean, God. But, yeah, Lift Yourself <laughs> is an experience. I think I might play that at the end of the episode, because that's, like, one of those things that need to be heard to be believed. Um, yeah, really spectacular miss from Kanye on that occasion. But, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. We'll we'll move on, I think. We'll we'll yeah, we'll just move on.
2: Chubba <laughs> chubba chubba chubby, chubby. we don't have any words to go here, so chubba chubby chubby.
0: <laughs> Alright, next up is this.
3: Tripping sky of ink with gold. They twinkle at the boys, play rock and roll. They know that they can't dance, at least they know. I can stand the feet, asking for the check. Girl with crimson nails is Jesus round her neck. Swing into the music, swing into the music. Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh, oh. Okay, this is Vertigo by YouTube. Released as the lead single from the band's 11th studio album titled How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, Vertigo is U2's 38th single overall to be released in the UK and their 5th to reach number 1, or their 6th if you count LMC vs U2. And this is not the last time that we'll be discussing them on this podcast either. Vertigo went straight in at number 1 as a brand new entry, knocking Eminem off the top of the charts. It stayed at number 1 for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 52,000 copies, beating competition from Curtain Falls by Blue, which got to number 4, and Out of the Blue by Delta Gudrun, which got to number 9. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Vertigo fell 6 places to number 7. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 19 weeks. The song is currently officially certified silver in the UK as of 2023. So, Andy, Vertigo, let's hear it. Yeah,
1: I'm gonna be honest, I have not got a huge amount on this one. To me, this is, if I could pick the most average song ever written, it would probably be this, to be honest. Um, That it's just very, very bland, very bland, Um, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a running joke in our household of like, a boring song to just break out into, (laughs) to be honest. Um, I I, I don't know what it is about U2. Thinking about it, actually, we've only discussed U2 once, haven't we? So I don't know how clearly I've put this across, but I really do find them quite tiresome. There's three or four songs I like by U2, but none of them would really go beyond I Will Leave It On if it comes on. You know, if I listen to the radio, I might hear a song I know with U2. It wouldn't really go any further than that. (laughs) Um, That wasn't a planned scripted joke, by the way. I'm not going to keep up with these references. Anyway. but yes, with this, it's like it's fine, but there's just something passive about you two. Something that's like it will never ever shock me. It will never offend me. It will never excite me. It just is. It's, it's not nothing, it's something, but that's all it is. It's just a thing. And that's what I think about this song, to be honest. That, I mean, it's got its little moments of interest, like the Uno, dos, tres, quatorze thing. What's that about? That's a bit strange um but overall like the production is really tinny, and um it's just kind of it's really brief it feels like it's over before it started to be honest um it's kind of just very straight down the line stadium rock for everyone at home um and that really is all i've got to say about it to be honest because i think i would be undermining my opinion of the song to keep going because really i cannot emphasize enough how average this is to me um I couldn't understand why I got to number one, I can't, but um, that doesn't mean it's a good thing. I think it's the epitome of mainstream, bland, what can laughingly be called rock music, uh, making it to number one. So, yes, um, not completely condemnatory, but there is a genuine chance I may never think about this song ever again. Well, Lizzie, how about you?
2: (laughs) Well, actually, Andy, it's deceptively simple. (laughs) <laughs> that riff, you can think, oh yeah, another rock song. It doesn't become great the first time you hear it. It becomes great the thousandth time you hear it, and that's true of a lot of rock riffs. So we have to get the density of exposure for that to be a hit. And they are you saying it. I need
1: to listen to this a thousand times? Because you're onto a real loser there. If that's what I'm expected to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's right, there's nothing in YouTube's catalog that sounds remotely like Vertigo. It's completely fresh. Vertigo is actually quite a gem, contrary to what you say, and it's very new. And there are beautiful little (laughs) moments in there, but they're subtle. Not my words, the words of Bono. Um, Right.
1: I was really wondering where this was going there, because I was like, have I misjudged (laughs) this entirely? (laughs) No. um,
2: I had to find something to say, because this is just advert music. Yes. Yes. Like, I... I really sort of balk at people who talk to me about adverts. They don't do it very often, but when they do, it's like, why are you it's like why Why have you thought of this as a thing that would be interesting to talk about? It's an advert. It's to sell you something, and the way this is constructed, it is purely just like, yeah. It, well, it's from an iPod advert, but I was gonna say it sounds more like the new Toyota Rav Four with two-horsepower engine. Like, I don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> uh, but like I don't have anything to really say too negatively about it, unlike, you know, Just Lose It and Radio, because there's nothing truly horrific other than the, the Uno Dos Tres Catorze intro. But, yeah, there's just nothing great either. It is kind of rock by numbers, and... I don't know who needs that in 2004 it's just it just kind of exists and i don't hate it but i don't have anything to say about it either glad it's not just me
0: <laughs> well i've got loads more to say about this era of youtube but i'll save it for a day when they come back in 2005 what I'll say about Vertigo is that Bono is hilarious. Like, he keeps doing things that threaten to derail the entire song. Like, all the stupid lyrics that say a lot but evoke nothing. All the fucking ad-libs that nobody asked for and mm. don't suit the song. Especially the, yeah, 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 at the end, uh, which he was rightly mocked for because, for God's <laughs> sake, man. Um, at the beginning of the song, there's the una, dos, tres, caturse, um... This is from the Wikipedia page. Um, in English, this translates to 1, 2, 3, 14. When he, <laughs> asked, when he was asked about this oddity in an interview for Rolling Stone, Bono replied, there may have been some alcohol involved. So it's Very druggy more episode-ish. substances getting... Yeah. You know, it is. It's more male hubris, I think. More, let's do this because no one will tell us not to. Um. But... Um, Honestly, I think that this is sort of new territory for you, too, at least. Going down the fast, hard rock route with a riff that sounds like it was pulled from a Quiet Riot song. Like, I think if you just ignore what Bono's saying, and focus, on more, about, focus more on how he's saying it, then I think you'll have a better time, because the leap into the chorus is great. The, hello, hello, that's, that's great stuff. The way it keeps building and rephrasing the chorus... In a similar manner to "Beautiful Day," is really great, especially at the end where they go the uh, where they go with the um, "I can feel your love teaching me." High. That's you know the you know that, I think that's a bit of YouTube's late day speciality actually, where they manage to keep sort of like developing post choruses so that everything sounds a little different and you, you feel like you have the sense of progression um, through the through the composition. I agree with you, Andy. I think the production choices are a little weird. Um, The guitar and bass in opposite ears um, is a strange effect. It's a very strange Mm. effect. Um, I am mostly into the song, though. Um, I see U2 and Bono the same way I see Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton, in the sense that Bono and Lin-Manuel Miranda are simultaneously the best and worst things about the thing that they are part of. They would probably the productions themselves. U two would probably be better off without Bono at this stage, and Lin Manuel Miranda, you know, would Hamilton would probably be improved if he wasn't in it. But they wouldn't exist without them either, and so they become the most important part of it, and it wouldn't survive without them. And I'll I'll talk more about why I'm more forgiving of U two. The next time they come up, nostalgia is definitely playing a part in this, Um, but I think that um, the next time they get to number one, uh, sometimes you can't make it on your own. Um, It feels like it's a more appropriate time to discuss uh, sentimental value and things like that. But I will say I did see them on this tour. Um, This album was a big deal in my family um, and it became a big deal for me personally, but again... 2005 is the more appropriate year because I go through more as a kid in 2005 because it's the year I leave primary school and everything kind of coincides quite nicely. Um, But yeah, I think this is generally pretty good, but it's Bono that is the simultaneously best and worst thing about it. Um, I will also give a shout out as well because we don't get much of a chance on the next song to say that I think that The Edge is a is is a really interesting guitarist. Like, yeah, he doesn't have, like, the technical, you know, you know, you'll never hear him shred, but his grasp of effects and his grasp of how big a guitar can be I think is sort of unparalleled in pop rock. Um, just in terms of how you can make something that sounds sparse fill so much space and decorate the song so beautifully... I think his best moments in this, away from the lead riff, come in the verses, the more kind of ambient, clean tones that kind of sparkle like like little stars in the mix. Um, you know, this kind of like grungy... You know, you've got some lovely tones going on from the edge and the cleaner bits. There is a song that you two come back with in 2009 where they try this thing again, and you can make the point quite convincingly with those two songs alone vertigo and get on your boots um which are i think i think the point that you could make is that 2004 and 2009 are only five years apart and yet they are entirely in separate worlds just entirely in separate worlds so much changes between now and 2009 that when you two come back with something like this like it's what are you doing guys? Like it's the first time I think you two really do not sound current when they come back with no line on the horizon. That's the first time I think where they really start to sound their age. um, And the fact that they can't keep up with, uh, with recent and current trends. Um, But yeah, so I'm generally defending Vertigo, but you know, not enough to like really go into bat with it for it. If you know what I mean?
2: I think, my One of my bigger problems with it, actually, is that it kind of reminds me of... Well, in the next few years, we encounter a couple of these, like, dad fantasy rock songs.
0: Oh, yes. Um, there's, yeah. there's
2: one prime example next year, and there's another one in 2009, which is considerably worse. But, yeah, I, I don't like this sort of thing at all.
0: <laughs> I will say, when I was listening to it before, it did evoke... I know the song you're talking about, is Dakota, right?
2: Yeah, it's like Top Gear Driving Anthems Volume 1, like that yes. sort of thing. Yes, yeah, no, I, I really totally get like it. it. <laughs> yeah, it,
0: it does evoke that. Um, and then Dakota, obviously, I feel like is a bit of a harbinger for a few other things that come down the line. Mm. But, <laughs> yeah, I mostly think this is okay, but I will... In fact, I think it's slightly more than okay. I think if I just preferred a, a fuller mix and all of Bono's ad-libs gone... <laughs> 'Cause again it's all a bit non sequitur, like I don't think you could really explain what this song is about, apart from being at a place called Vertigo. Like it just I find it hard to get an emotional handle on this. It's it's
2: just to me like it just sounds like hello, we're you two, and we're back.
0: Yes, we have a song on an iPod advert now, Go Us. Yes, etc. Yeah. So punk rock.
1: I know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: That is a reference to a comment they made about Songs of Innocence,
1: which is the one that they stuck on everybody's iPhones and iPods, where uh, they described it as so punk rock to have done that, which they were paid like 10 million each to do. (laughs) So punk rock. Thanks, guys. Thanks, The Edge. It was The Edge who made
0: that comment. and Very silly of you, The Edge, and you've got a stupid name. Yeah, my mum is a, well, my mum and dad are both massive U2 fans and my mum to this day has still refused to listen to the album on principle because... It's genuinely terrible as well. It's a terrible album. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember one song from it, which is the bit at the start where they go, "Oh, Oh, oh, and that's it. That's all I remember (laughs) and that's because it was on an advert and I heard it like 10 times a week in 2015 or whenever the fuck it was. But yes, okay, so fourth and last song up this week as we take you through to Christmas is this. Okay this is I'll Stand By You by Girls Aloud, released as the third single from the group's second studio album titled What Will The Neighbours Say, I'll Stand By You is Girls Aloud's seventh single overall to be released in the UK and their second to reach number one. The song was chosen as the official single for Children In Need in 2004 and is a cover of the Pretenders original version which reached number 10 in the UK charts in 1994. I'll Stand By You went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking you two off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for two weeks. In its first week atop the charts, it sold 58,000 copies, beating competition from If There's Any Justice by Lamar, which uh, got to number three, What You Waiting For by Gwen Stefani, which got to uh, number four, uh, Room on the Third Floor by McFly, which got to number five, uh, and Baby It's You by JoJo and Bow Wow, which got to uh, number 88. Eight. In its second week at number one, it sold 30,000 copies. Beating competition from Ride It by Jerry Halliwell, which got to number four. Tilt Your Head Back by Nelly and Christina Aguilera, which got to number five. Irish Sun" by Brian McFadden, which got to number six. (laughs) And Party for Two by Shania Twain and Mark McGrath, which got to number ten. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, I'll Stand By You fell three places to number four. Standing No More. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 14 weeks. The song is currently officially certified silver in the UK as of 2023. I'll field this one first because I have precisely one sentence and three lines about it. This sounds like a year 11 girls cover of an early 90s song for charity. It means you get to go aww, but then forget about it and move on with your life. Similar quality to Atomic Kittens Eternal Flame, but just slightly less charming. Andy, how about you? Oh, wow,
1: that was brutal. Um, I I, I don't feel as badly about it as that. I just actually would include it in the broader theme of this week, which is um, experiments or slightly out-of-form artists in spaces that they probably shouldn't have entered. I feel like all four songs it kind of applies to. Um, Less so you two, but this one I actually would include. Obviously, it's nowhere near as egregious as just Loser, um, but... It's still, like, it's not what Girls allowed do best. Um, they're fun. They're really fun. I've said it before that I described them as, like, girls you go out with on a Saturday night and have a great time with. Like, that album titled What Will the Neighbours Say, that really captures it really, really well. And Love Machine in general, which that comes from, obviously, is, is just a really, really fun song. They're not balladeers. And I'm, that's not for me to say they should never do ballads and they should never slow it down but it's definitely not their forte. And so it's a little bit frustrating, to say the very least, that Love Machine and Biology and Sexy No-No-No and No Good Advice and Something Kind of Ooh and the list goes on and on and on, That all of these don't get number one. But this does, because it's just not very representative of them. And obviously the main reason that this gets to number one is because it was the Children in Need song. And I will say that this choice of song... For children in need is quite a nice one. It's it's quite a good choice. Um the original I think is fine. Like I think it has some nice cadences to it. It has a, a nice little movement in the chorus. Um, and I like how sincere it is, but because of how sincere it is, it's quite a dull song. Um it doesn't suit girls aloud one bit. I think the production really doesn't help them as well. I totally get what you mean, Rob, about it sounding like a year nine group of girls like singing this in a performing arts festival or something because it, it, it just left... To the Wolves, they really are. Like, there's almost no reverb on them at all for some reason. It's just their voices sitting alone in this huge production. Um, It's a very odd stylistic choice that they just sound so small and they just don't sound powerful at all. Even in the bits that need them to sound big, like the when the nights fall down, like that bit, it's just not given any help uh, by the mixing on their voices at all, which really distracts. but like i say i don't like hate this i think it's really like low down on girls allowed singles so it's it very frustrating that this gets to number 1 when so many absolute classics don't but um it actually considering that, what a slow week it's been it might actually be my favorite song of the week this just from sheer lack of competition <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's fine, but God, I wish we were talking about other all girls' allowed songs. I will say, just on that, on you know the the kind of competition we've had this week. I think this episode and the last, I think for me, represent probably the weakest few months that we've ever been through on the show so far. Like these last few months, if you include my place, um, real to me by Brian McFadden, obviously, and then you've got. Just loser, there to go, and this just this is a slow, slow period in pop music, which I'm not a fan of. So I think this is probably my my most difficult era that we've ever gone through on the show so far. Um, don't know if you two would agree, but this in general is is fine. But we really need a big stomper. Come on, give us something good. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: I think just on what you've said there, actually, I think that 2004 single sales have dropped an almighty amount and it's because people are downloading songs now and it means but the uh charts aren't they're still not accepting downloads as like legal tender uh if you uh want to quote michael mcintyre for some fucking reason from 13 years ago um <laughs> like <laughs> um but i do think that there is a A bit of a, (laughs) hmm, should we say this is a lull in terms of sales and it's also a lull in terms of like material to go off as well. I think that like the end of 2004, beginning of 2005 is basically a big kind of like wake up call where it's like something needs to happen. There needs to be a new wave of pop. You know, something new needs to happen. And I think this is why the X Factor managed to pitch itself so successfully because it was like, here's the new thing that you've all been waiting for, and it's like, it wasn't, but, like... We're we'll definitely waiting for it, something, we really are, it, yeah. Yes, it, it could masquerade as something, because in the first few weeks of 2005, you also get loads of Elvis songs getting to number one, with, like, mm. 20,000 sales, because they just get re-released. Like, we have to cover Elvis three times in two episodes, Can't because... wait for Elvis week. <laughs> yeah, and, it, I mean, you know, they're decent songs and everything, it's Elvis, you know, but, like... It's songs from 50 years ago or 40 years ago at that point, uh, you know, refilling the charts again because nobody's nobody's buying physical singles. And then things get back to normal when finally the UK charts sort of acknowledge like, okay, fine, we'll just let downloads be counted because there needed to be something to shake it up. And ringtones are a thing that are going to have a big impact next year. As well, um, ringtones and downloads are the future for this little period of pop, and I think that we're just on the cusp of it. I think there is a similarly—we've talked about this before, Andy. There is a similar lull period in 2008 where it's like something new needs to come along, something new needs to happen. Like we've had four or five—you know—we've had four or five years of the X Factor dominating everything and giving us all these artists and stuff. Where's the new stuff coming from? And the new stuff arrives, and I, in my opinion, everybody learns the wrong lessons from it. But 2008, the end of 2004 and the end of 2008 are similarly like, come on, you know, like, what have you got to offer? Is anything happening? Is this it now? Are we just supposed to be bored forever? Yeah. um, I I think there's so many songs in these last few weeks that
1: I just really can't believe how little competition there must be if this stuff is getting to number one. I mean, particularly Brian McFadden last week. But, I mean, I would probably say the same of this. I would certainly say the same of radio, um, considering that only stayed in the chart for nine weeks as well. Like, it just feels like if things were firing on all cinders in general, these songs would be wiped off the map. Nothing we've discussed this week would have got number one if we had a year of the quality of two thousand or two thousand and two. Like we just would not have these songs in the mix at all. They'd be footnotes in Rob's little bits at the start of each song and that would be all. You know, it just I don't know. It's it's not a good yeah it's not a good time for pop music this. No. No, not particularly. Uh
0: Lizzie, how do you feel about this?
2: Yeah, pretty much agree with you both. It's it's boring. And like I know I said to you earlier this week that girls Aloud are very underserved by the number one spot. Like we only discussed them four times. They've got two really good ones. They've got one like okay-ish one and this and like you just imagine the alternate universe where we could have been talking about love machine or biology or i know can't speak french or called shots it's so many good songs that just for some reason don't well they're, they're all in the top 10 like every one of their singles up to 2009 gets top 10 but It's just strange that something like this can rise to the top, despite it being so ordinary. Like, okay, it's for children in need. That's probably why. But, yeah, it's a real shame. I think Andy, I'm With You is probably my favourite of the week, purely because, A, I don't like the other three, and B, it has given me a bit more of an appreciation for the Pretenders version, just because nobody really sounds like Chrissie Hine does.
0: Mm. No, no, they don't. I agree on that, and,
2: yeah. Yeah, and I think, like you say, Rob, it does sound like a sort of year 11 talent show cover, which is fine, but there's none of the, the gravity of that, like I say, Chrissy Hines' sort of husky voice. Um, and even she admits that it was a cold-blooded attempt to get something on the radio, and it worked. Um And yeah, I I really thought I was going to have an aha moment like I did with Eternal Flame, where I was going to be listening to it thinking, this is obviously cynical and commercial, but there's something about it which is quite affecting. And it's just not, despite the fact that it's um, co-written by the same person, Billy Steinberg, which I didn't know until this week, so there you go. Mm. And... Yeah, I I really thought I was going to get that from this, so I I actually tried more with this than any of the other songs, and it just never came, and inevitably I went back to the likes of Biology and The Promise, which are just better songs. Um, mm, yeah. So yeah, not not great. Like, I think Andy, I agree. I agree with you. This might be the worst period we've covered because even back end of 2001 you had Can't Get You Out Of My Head
1: we had that one terrible week where everything went in the pie hole which I think was yeah. because it got high If You Come Back West by Life. Blue and yeah Queen Of My yeah. Heart by West oh, Life, that was a yeah. terrible week but um, these last few have not been much better just to say though Lizzie no. it's, it's funny that I I'm exactly the same that this is The one that I gave... I mean, I wasn't keeping count, but I'm sure this would have been the one that I gave the most listens to for this week. Um, Purely because I am, like, a proper Girls Allowed stan. Like, I love them. I really love them. Of course, yeah. They've got so many great singles, and I thought, it's so rare I get an opportunity to talk about them on the podcast. Like, let's have something. Let's Give me something that I can rave about with this and fly the flag for them, because they deserve to have their flag flown. Because the Sugar Babes, who obviously they're near as competitors... All their biggest bangers get to number one. They're really well represented. Um, of course, whereas yeah. girls Aloud, they just hit the post so many times. They're always the bridesmaid. Um, yeah. So that is really frustrating. But yeah, I gave it the most listens because I wanted to get something from it, and I didn't Me really. Me too. Yeah. I
2: I just really thought that one like on one occasion it'll click and I'll get that personality that I get from again something like biology when like. They all have their own sort of personality within the song. Mm. This is just... They're just playing it straight, which is fine, but I I want more than that, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. Is that too much to ask? No, it isn't. It isn't. Um, But it shows you where we are right now that it feels like a lot to ask to give us something different. But anyway, yeah.
2: And they also... They do kind of go back to this well next Christmas as well with um, a song which... I would actually say maybe even worse than this one, but it doesn't get to number one, it gets to number
0: nine. Is that See the Day? Yeah. 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 I can't believe that only got to number nine. Wow.
2: Well, even Cheryl admitted that she hated it. The rhythm is the weird one
1: with that. (laughs) It's got this kind of stop-starty... Ever. It's a, like
2: waltz See time, isn't the
1: it? day to... yeah it's just you can't possibly unless you were doing a fucking waltz yeah you couldn't possibly do any dance to it, not even a slow dance um very strange song that one
0: yeah yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I think we're gonna call time on this week, but before we go, we're just gonna check so radio by Robbie Williams is that going in the pie hole or the vault for anybody, Andy? Uh, yeah I'm putting it in the vault vo- uh, not the vault the pie hole Jesus yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah that's going in the pie hole yeah uh, yeah uh, uh, Lizzie with
1: that <laughs>
2: um, it's putting yeah I'm putting it in the pie hole definitely
0: cool um, just lose it by Eminem uh, pie hole pie hole I'm also pie holing it yeah uh, I'm not putting um, radio in the vault or the pie hole it's teetering close but I think I'm gonna leave it out um Vertigo by U2. That's not going anywhere for me, Andy. No, no. Solid five.
2: Yeah, right down the middle.
0: Cool. Yeah, excellent. And I'll stand by you by Girls Aloud. That's just about safe for me. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, me too, but you're on thin
0: ice. Yeah. 17th place, just avoided relegation. If they're (laughs) they're on thin ice, then don't stand by them because you'll fall in with them. (laughs) Terrible joke of the week. (laughs) That is it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. When we come back, we'll be covering the race for Christmas number one. In 2004, you've got through this supersized episode, and Santa's been. So, yes, we'll be back for that one, our three monthly tradition on this show. Um, looking forward to it. Sort of. So we will see you then. See you then. Bye-bye now. The One more see. Really good see ya. <laughs> this next
3: verse. This next verse, though. These bars. Poopy do scoop. Scoop dee dee whoop. Whoop dee scoop dee poop. Poop dee scoop dee scoop dee whoop. Whoop de scoop whoop poop poop dee whoop scoop poop, poop, scoop di dee whoop
1: whoop di dee scoop whoop di dee scoop poop <coughs>